Welcome everyone, this is the fourth episode of the Learning Podcast and if you're unsure, it's simply a show dedicated to learning something new from every guest that comes on this show. So today I have with me a very special guest and a very good friend who I met at the NUS Business School. He's probably one of the first friends I've met there. Uh, his name is Leonard Yap and Leonard, thanks so much for taking the time to come down. Sure. So for those listeners that don't know who you are, could you just give a quick backstory of who you are, where you come from, what you're doing now, what passions you have, and yeah. Okay, so hi everyone, I'm Leonard, and I, like JJ, I just graduated from NUS Business School. So uh, right now, currently, I'm a commercial graduate training with Mondelez International. So it's an FMCG uh, company. And if you don't know what we are doing, we basically are the manufacturers for a few of your favorite brands, like Oreos, Reeds, Jacobs, Cadbury chocolates. And uh, my passion, my passion has always been in uh, marketing. Uh, since year one, uh, I have already uh, known that this is the path that I really wanted to pursue. And I was really lucky to have been able to um, clinched an internship with Unilever. Mm. And from then on, I am really set on uh, going down the FMCG path. So apart from uh, marketing, I personally also like to draw and uh, travel a lot. Yeah, so. I mean, when you talk about how you decided that you wanted to do marketing from year one, right? I mean, is there a story behind why you wanted to do marketing? Because at least from my perspective, right? At least I can confidently say that one of the reasons why I got into marketing was that I was looking at the options available. And I'm not sure if I had this conversation with you, like finance. I'm not good at finance operations management it wasn't my thing and human resource really didn't appeal to me and that's the reason why i got into marketing and that's at, at least for me the reason why i gradually grew to like marketing but what what what's your story on that part like how how did you come to the decision that you thought that i really like marketing because to make that decision when you're year one i think that's quite early on right like is there is it something that, that you have always done or like how did it how did this interest manifest Okay, so I guess uh, the interest did not come in uh, right from the start. It kind of uh, solidified uh, through the different internships I have. And like you, when I was in year one, uh, I look at the options available. So for our school, we only have uh, a few specializations we can pick. It's the uh, HR, supply chain, and then... Uh, um, finance and marketing right so i also did an elimination method i feel that i don't think i'll be good in any of the other uh, three specializations and that is when i chose marketing because um i i was interested in digital marketing then and also uh, personally like to create uh, content to communicate to uh, the end consumers and then after that uh, subsequently i managed to get the internship with Unilever mm. then it really solidified hey I really like what I'm doing now mm. and uh, the third year in uni I also clinched another internship with 3M mm. and that was when I start to realize hey this is really something that I would want to do next time uh, when I graduate mm. and so uh, back to the point I didn't really know that I would pick marketing right from the start mm. but it's kind of uh how to say it's like an elimination process coupled with uh, experience gained and uh, finding the passion along the way and mm. that is how I chose marketing 
I know one thing you're passionate about, right, is at least sharing your journey because I think that people going to Unilever, 3M, all these kind of very big companies, very enticing. Like, could you, like, share with us more about the story that, like, at least the interview process, the difficulties that you face in terms of getting to into all these kind of big companies because I know that is something that a lot of people are really passionate about and I know you always share on your Instagram stories in terms of giving the kind of uh, tips that you will give to a business student. So maybe you could talk more about that. Okay, so uh, I would say that I was really, really lucky to get into Unilever uh, on my second year. And nowadays, I would say that the application for internships now, it's really, really very tedious. It, you have to go through at least um, three stages, three rounds, before you get the offer. And uh, the journey is really quite tiring. And at the same time, it's also, uh, it tests your perseverance and your resilience because uh, you definitely would face rejections and you don't know at which stage. So uh, it really tests your tenacity and your resilience to apply for these jobs. And my advice would be firstly to go and um, apply as many as you can right from the start because it's like a, how to say, it's like a jackpot. If you don't put in the coin, you wouldn't get to win the jackpot, right? So it's a matter of volume. Yes, it's more like a, a numbers game. You really have to apply as many as you can because uh, the benefit of doing that is you get a higher chance to get a job offer. At the end of the day, you wouldn't know which stage you would fall, you would drop off. So it's wise for you to uh, clinch as many uh, interviews as you can right from the start. And subsequently, as you drop off from the interviews, at the very least, you still have room and you room know for still improvement have other after every rejection correct a room for improvement and also you still have um the benefit of perhaps having higher chance to land a job offer because since you apply so much right then you have eventually it's like a funneling effect eventually you will still at least land something if your funnel at the top is very small then you might not end with something. So if we talk about exact numbers right what is your marketing funnel metrics in terms of Internship application. In terms of, I will talk about uh, just landing an interview. In th- like, in terms okay. of your just a general, general effort to get internships or whether it's jobs. Like, what's, like for example, how many jobs do you apply to, and how many interviews do you get, and how many offers do you get? Okay, so uh, for uh, my graduate training role, mm-hmm. I applied since last year December. So it's about um, a semester before I even landed the role. Mm. So it's about, I guess it's about six months before. Mm. So I was really, really kiasu in a way. <laughs> then I applied <laughs> since December. For those listeners, I, I didn't start applying until April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. so it, <laughs> there's definitely a merit in applying earlier. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, I guess I have a plan, I have a schedule uh, set up for myself. Mm. So since December, every week I've been sending at least uh, three. Every three, week, three. Yes, three applications to the, the companies that I'm interested in. Mm. So my advice is pick three industries that you're interested in. Mm. That time I really wanted to get into uh, FMCG. Mm and uh, technology, technological firms, Mm. and finally luxury retail. So I have the three industries set. Mm. 
and then you start to really plan out um, in a week how many do you intend to send to the different industries my advice is send at least three uh, applications per week for each industry yes so that's nine at least let's write nine applications per week about, about there, about there. Okay. yeah, about there. But I mean, if there are not as many jobs, right, yeah. available for you to apply, mm. you can always um, reapply mm. because sometimes they might not uh, see the resume that you have sent, or mm. maybe the job, uh, the job listing is old. Mm. So you just have to keep reminding them. But that's just my advice. Definitely, there are not as many uh, job available for you to apply. Mm because you are limiting yourself to the three industries already right mm. so in the event <clears throat> where you find yourself um, exhausting the options to apply mm. then that is when you might want to consider hey do I want to expand the uh, industries mm. that I'm going to apply mm. yeah so for listeners out there right I, if I'm not mistaken right you actually got an offer from each of the interested industry that you came from right so for FMCG you got an offer from Mondelez from Tech you got an offer from Sony and for luxury you got an offer from LV mm-hmm. so how did you come about choosing FMCG over the others like for listeners out there right Leonard is someone that I really respect in terms of being very clear for his goals and yeah it's something I respect it, but how do you choose FMCG like why not tech or luxury okay I guess this is a very good question at the end of the day you have to really evaluate which one out of the offers that you eventually would want to pick right mm. so i have my own um way to select okay so on a very practical note you definitely would want to look at the compensation package first. okay so it's a money number one <laughs> yes okay that that's uh pretty important because i have school debt to pay yes. so that is my priority and then secondly you really have to ask yourself what is the role that you have applied mm. You have to ask yourself whether you see yourself in the role for at least five years, mm. whether you would enjoy being in that role for at least five years. Okay. And then uh, thirdly, you have to uh, really look at the company, mm. look at the products, look at the services that the company is in, look at the industry that the company is in, mm. do some research on the uh, future prospects or the future projects that the company is going to be engaged in mm. and then ask yourself whether do you want to be a part of it mm. and um, finally also look at the culture because mm. I firmly believe that people stay not only just because of the work most importantly people stay because of the people and the boss mm. it's like um, two of the very important uh, evaluation criteria for me to stay in the long term one difficulty i have right culture to me is also very very important right and like from a outsider's point of view right they market their culture to be as one image mm-hmm. and like how do you be certain that when you're applying into the company right do you take an effort to really talk to people on LinkedIn, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. find out, form personal relationships. Or because I find myself falling into the trap of applying to companies whereby oh, they market themselves to have a culture which is very great, mm. people-centric, everything. It sounds very nice and rosy. And marketers are marketing to the marketers mm-hmm. in a sense, right? So I bought into this marketing and sometimes, at least for my internships, right, the culture that, that is in a company isn't what they market it as. Like, are there any precautions or things that you take in terms of trying to be accurate into make sh- making sure that you mm. land up in the position that you want to be in 
Okay, so this is a very relevant question. You wouldn't know the culture until you've really, really stepped into the company, right? Yeah. So the uh, you have to really do your homework, I would say. What you can do as an outsider is firstly research. Mm. So research in what sense? Go and read reviews. Go to Glassdoor. <laughs> Do you think Glassdoor reviews are accurate? Okay, so uh, I have uh, I couldn't guarantee whether the reviews are accurate or not, mm. but I would say that just try to not look only uh, in the Singapore context. Mm. Go and see what are the other reviews the employees have to say in different regions and different countries or so. Okay. So you would have a more comprehensive understanding on what the culture is like mm. as a whole, not yeah. just locally. And secondly, if you are able to tap on your network, mm. you know people who are working there or you know friends or friends who are working there, mm. try to maybe perhaps um, ask them to give you uh, the contact information of people working there and maybe just give them a call and say that you're interested to join the company and you would like to understand more about the culture and the processes. So this is what I did for um, the Sony role because yeah. I wasn't very sure what the culture is but thankfully I have a colleague who was working in 3M okay. and he gave me the contact of uh, an ex-graduate trainee who was actually in the Sony program. So and this graduate was, left the company already, is it? Yeah, so <laughs> she, she for left what the reasons company. May I, ask? I guess it's for personal growth. Okay. It's very common for, it's not that the company is bad, but mostly um, when you are young, you want to be exposed to the different industries. Mm. So uh, I would say that most people hop around for personal growth or they just want a new environment they don't want to be stuck in just consumer electronics mm. maybe they want to move to fast moving consumer goods or they want to move on to uh, let's say healthcare mm. so I wouldn't say that it's because of the company but they just want to explore more experiment more when they are younger mm. yeah so um, to summarize just do your homework research uh, do first level research with glass doors and indeed and then if uh, you are able to reach out to whoever is working in the company use your network and then uh, ask how is it like working there mm. and if you are unable to get that connection then you might uh, maybe just really rely on secondary research mm. if not you wouldn't have a firm understanding of the culture so this is basically just my tip Okay, okay. Yeah. Do you have any regrets from NUS Business School? I wouldn't say that I have any regrets. Um, okay, maybe there, there is one single regret. I regretted not participating in case competitions. Okay, yeah, it's something that I envy <laughs> a lot because I really envy, I'm jealous of a lot of case competition people yeah. because they are really able to speak well, right? So, yeah. is that the reason why? Like, like the, the exposure that they kind of get like in terms of going overseas I know a lot of case competition people and I really envy them a lot yeah that's one yeah, that's one regret I have I guess it's not just because you learn to uh, speak well or what but it's the opportunity to really solve a real business case problem mm. and uh, there is this flexibility for you to explore the different problems in different industries mm. to be exposed to uh, like problems in different industries and get to know how 
they think and all that kind of stuff. Correct. You broaden your horizons, you know. Because next time when you start working, let's say if you work in uh, consumer tech, then you'll be start mostly stuck in solving consumer tech problems. Yeah. But in this school, if you're able to join case competitions, you would broaden your um, problem solving skills. You not only just target the consumer tech, but also other industries. So I guess that's just one single regret that I didn't really tap on okay. NUS business. When How many case competitions there. do you join in NUS business school? <laughs> I remember joining one with you <laughs> during the first year of our university. We yeah. joined the uh, NUS pitch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A media corp pitch it. Media corp, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it was in a way quite a good experience because um, it helped us with our presentation skills. Yeah. We aren't really afraid mm. to present and even though we didn't make it through the uh, semi-finals yeah, or yeah. progress ahead, I guess it's still a very good learning experience. I always tell myself that uh, feedback, right, mm. is basically um, lessons learned mm. for your older self. Mm. So it's not something that we should take negatively even if we don't do well. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, right, we, we talked a little bit about finances, right? I'm, mm. I'm interested to talk about finances because I personally right i don't really have a lot of friends that like take on loans mm-hmm. to pay their university debt because at least for me i'm very fortunate to come from a background where my parents are supportive enough could you like tell me the story of how you gone about like financing your own university education because i think it's something that's rare and i think yeah, it's, it's something worth talking about in terms of going through this process of getting a loan and everything or at least how you plan to manage your finances or how do you even manage your finances right now in general like do you invest or like just your thought process i'm interested to find out about it okay maybe i'll go one by one like okay. how i start off with applying the school loan yeah uh, with the banks mm. and then maybe i'll share some tips on personal finances later okay okay so uh i i don't have the luxury of having my parents pay for my school fees mm. because both of them they are only uh, educated on the secondary school level okay. and they really don't have much savings because um, they don't earn much and they cannot really set aside much mm. so when I managed to get into uh, NUS mm. I had to find ways to pay off my school loans mm. because I cannot rely on my parents mm. and uh, I decided to go with uh, OCBC mm. and then uh, apply the school loan <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. sorry sorry yeah because it's not no, it's that true. it is sponsored but there are only uh, what, what, what are the factors banks. you look at dif- like deciding between the loan rates from different banks like is it the loan duration I have totally no idea okay. about this like how do you arrive at choosing OCBC okay there there basically isn't um, much evaluation going on when I decided to pick OCBC mm. it's just I feel that the uh, service was good that's all and they could answer my queries fast when I wanted to call and ask what's the update of my total lump sum loan at the moment. So okay. it was just that. But uh, I would say that um, applying loans, it's not a bad thing also. Because uh, let's say if your parents have the money to pay your school fees, mm. you could still apply the loan. That's what one of my friends did. Mm. He applied the loan and at the end uh, when he graduated, he basically used the loan money to do investments mm. and when he graduated uh, he was able to use his parents lump sum money to pay mm. and because he invested 
during uh, using the loan amount, he mm. was able to still get a, re- a healthy returns of about a few thousand dollars. So mm. I would say that even if your parents are able to pay for your school fees, okay. maybe you could consider taking, um, on, taking loan. on the loan and do your own self investments, provided on the condition that you could discipline yourself and not spend the money. And also, you should at least have some knowledge on uh, investments. Then I would advise you to do that. If not, just pay off the loan with so your like parents. Good, money. good debt versus bad debt. Yeah, correct. Like you need to have discipline and you need to have um, at least some sound investment knowledge before you take that alternative. Mm. Yeah, so. And I would say that applying loans is not entirely bad, even though I'm accruing interest now. Mm. And during the uh, four years in university, because I'm paying my own school fees, mm. I have to do well. Yeah. Because if I don't do well, yeah. I feel that I am losing money mm. for not doing well. The stress is there. Not exactly stress. I would say that it gives you a little bit, a little more push to do well because you are paying for your own. Yes, good, good pressure, good okay. stress. Yeah, going on and and it turns out well because you you want to secure a better uh, job job for yourself. Mm. That's why you push yourself a little harder, mm. and um. It keeps you constantly going to do well also. Mm. So I would say that loan is not a bad thing, entirely bad thing. Yeah. Especially Don't be afraid to take on, on a loan if you know how to take it on intelligently. In Correct. Yeah. Do it very uh, prudently, do it very judiciously. Mm. And it's up to the individual because as I mentioned to you, my circumstances are different. Mm. So it really boils down to your current circumstances and what are your future plans mm. before you decide to take that uh, route. How are you managing your finances right now as a mm-hmm. fresh graduate? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I feel that it's very, very important for us to really budget mm. because uh, there is this temptation of spending money. Shiny object first. syndrome, is it? <laughs> Buying dumb shit. Yeah. Like, what dumb shit do you buy? <laughs> Uh, okay, I, okay, maybe I'll, I'll see okay. if uh, I'll share And I'll not exactly say that it's dumb I, I bought my mom an Apple Watch Okay For my first salary, so That's nice Yeah I, I didn't buy my parents anything I feel so guilty <laughs> right now Yeah, so um, Okay, back to the point, right I feel that there is this temptation going on When you first started working And you draw your first salary Because you come from, let's say uh, Maybe only spending about $500 And when you start uh, working you all of a sudden have a surge of income taking cap everywhere correct and you <laughs> start to think of you know what I could be spending with my money I could get uh, the material goods that I've always wanted mm. I could maybe do the things that I previously can't do mm. so there's always this temptation going on and mm. I feel that it's very important for you to have a very f- sound um, budget every month so what I do is you have to look at your monthly income okay. and then ask yourself what are the necessary expenses. Okay. So necessary expenses would be uh, your transport mm. expense and then your day-to-day food. Mm. Day-to-day food, I mean um, what you are eating on a daily basis, not going out with your friends okay. or what. Like for example, because there's quite a lot, right? Correct. So these are the necessary expenses. And for me, I have an additional necessary expense, which are my loans. Mm. So I have to factor that in. And subsequently, you will be left with a residual uh, amount of money. Okay. And then that is when um, I would advise people to set aside money for savings. Mm. 
so savings you could save it uh for your emergency fund the emergency fund should amount to about six months of your total um salary okay so that in the event if you lose your job you still have this correct you still have this buffer period for you to find another job Mm. and another account that you should uh, be saving your money to would be the investments account Mm. and the rest after you have allocated the money for the necessary expenses Mm. the savings Mm. account Mm. and finally the investments account Mm. then the final residual money is really the amount of money that you could play around with Mm. you want to pamper yourself with a good treat then you can go ahead you want to buy yourself a luxury item then you can go ahead but you should be disciplined to follow this uh, three steps this is just my uh, personal advice Mm. then I would say that you could be financially free mm. uh, as early as you want to. Mm. Yeah. What kind of invest? Do you do any kind of investments or, like, or how do you? How would you tell someone who is like, mm. let's say, a university year one? Like, mm. what? Because we are not finance majors, right? So mm. honestly, right, I don't really know much about investing. But what I do is that I, I read up books on investing. Mm. And the quick conclusion is that uh, index funds is a good place to put your money into. But it depends on which country. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a financial advisor. But like, how do you educate yourself in terms of being financially sound? Because okay. next week, one of my fr- I'm inviting one of my friends who is a financial advisor. And is someone that I trust. So these are the kind of conversations that I also want to ask you. Mm. But if, like for yourself, where you are right now, how competent do you think you are in terms of financial literacy let's say in, in whether if it's in terms of buying insurance endowment mm. plans life plans hospitalization plans because i i think you were involved in insurance before right yeah yeah like yeah okay so uh this is a really very good question and i guess what you did was correct also you have to do your own research do your own read up go and try to read as uh, many books as possible on doing investments also uh look for secondary information online also i feel money smart is a pretty good platform Mm. for me to learn Mm. and i wouldn't say that i'm very very competent in investments right now Mm. i I don't uh, really have a concrete plan on my investments uh, journey at the moment Mm. but what I can advise is that uh, as a fresh graduate out of school you can set aside the money Mm. for you to do the investments Mm. so you're not doing the investments at the moment but at least you have the capital that you are um, actually growing at the moment and mm. use this period of time maybe mm. about like three to six months mm. do your own homework start to read more investment books mm. talk to friends maybe um, in the finance industry or mm. friends who are working as uh, financial advisors about their perspectives and opinions and their knowledge in this area mm. so you basically you want to build your financial literacy for the first six months uh, when you first landed your job mm. and then after that you feel comfortable mm. then you could uh, really um, take on uh, really put the plans into actions mm. and then start to create your own investment account and mm. then start to invest mm. so uh, yeah as you mentioned I was working uh, as a financial advisor before I start university okay. for about I guess 8 to 10 months and from there I also learned a lot about um financial literacy Mm. about budgeting Mm. and 
I'm also very very pro insurance mm. and I would want to advise uh, the fresh graduates out there mm. to at least get themselves a hospitalization plan okay uh, with full rider because uh, sorry what's rider so, I have no idea what all this means <laughs> okay so basically uh, rider it's a a rider plan means that it covers uh so basically, a, ra- a range of ac- like a range of accidents is is that, is that what I mean? It's not exactly a range of accidents. So if you don't have a rider plan, you would have to pay more for your medical fees. Okay. So a rider plan covers um some of the uh it covers quite a high percentage of the uh medical fees that you might be going to pay, mm. and also with the rider you have more benefits. Mm. Like for example, you don't have to wait to just. Uh, admit yourself to the public hospitals you could admit yourself to private hospitals with rider plans so maybe next week your financial advisor friend could enlighten more okay rider we, I mean, <laughs> yes okay, so okay. basically my advice is to um, get yourself at least a hospitalization plan mm. for the very start because it's very very crucial um, as a fresh graduate also don't see this as an expense that you you know, it's something that you're going to waste or money goes down the drain. Mm. It's really for protection. Even <laughs> you go for travels, you buy travel insurance, right? Yes, I do. If I you do. can buy travel insurance, do. why not buy a long-term uh, personal insurance for yourself? Okay, right? okay I think the conversation <laughs> right now is steering towards like insurance yeah. stuff. I, I, I want to go back to being a marketer. Like okay. What you do and what, what you do yeah. at Mondelez. Okay. How can one become a good marketer? In your opinion of being a fresh graduate who has just entered this big FMCG company right okay how does one become a good marketer okay this is a really really yeah. big question yeah, I know it's a very big question you're a big marketer yeah, I, I'm just right interested from your perspective okay so um, I don't really have a concrete answer at the moment mm. but I can give you my input on what I feel and what I've experienced so mm. far since I've only worked for the company for about two months only <laughs> okay and I would say that to be a really good marketer mm. is really a multi-dimensional job okay. you have to be an all-rounder mm. even uh, you know in school people might think that marketing is a little bit uh, fluff or it's not as uh, concrete as uh, a financial job yeah i wouldn't say that it is so because nowadays with the big data going on it is also very imperative for marketers to be when, when you talk about being all-rounder right mm. what Factors. What what kind of all roundedness okay. do they have? Like the factors that, like, mm. yeah. So you have to be a really good and confident speaker. Speaker number one. You have to very be good with uh, persuading and convincing. Sales. <laughs> yeah, not yeah sales, and also you have to uh, yeah. convince people through your uh, marketing plans through presentations. That's okay. why you have to be good with persuading and mm. convincing, mm. and you also have to be good with data analysis. Okay. Because um, So for you You do a lot of data analysis In Wonderless Like what kind of data Do you churn Okay so uh, Right now I'm in my uh, Modern trade rotation So I'm doing The key accounts management For uh, The local customers And what data That What data we are exposed Is basically Scan sales Mm -hmm. So we know How much Uh products are sold how, how many, many particular how many of each product is sold on a daily basis on from which location where and everything is okay sold. i don't exactly have like the full details about 
uh, how many products are sold in each outlet okay. but we have an overall view of uh, how, how many products are sold on a monthly basis okay. for an account oh. so what, what is the account like a particular product or like a whole suite of product okay so basically in modern trade uh, FMCG mm. key accounts management refers to um, the customers that you're dealing with okay. So for FMCG, our customers are basically the supermarkets. Okay. For modern trade, our customers are the supermarkets. So we have your fair price, mm. you have your DFI group. So DFI consists of cold storage and giant. And finally, so what does DFI mean? DFI is means Dairy Farm International. Okay, it's okay. The, oh, okay, okay, okay. Company dad. that owns idea, cold storage and giant. Okay. And also 7 Eleven. Okay. And then um, we have Sheng Xiong. Mm. And finally, we have e commerce. Oh, okay. So the modern trade key uh, customers are basically FairPrice, DFI, Sheng Xiong, and e commerce. Mm. E commerce like your Redmart, your FairPrice online. Mm. So uh, basically, what is a key account? A key account means um, that one customer account. So FairPrice is one account. Okay. DFI is another account. Mm. So if you are a key account manager, you manage this um, customer that you're dealing with. Okay. So you're responsible, uh, you responsible for maintaining the account, for growing the sales, and to continuously build the relationships with uh, the customer. So which key account are you responsible for? So right now, I'm um, helping out with the Sheng Xiong account. Sheng Xiong, okay. And uh, it's, it's very exciting, very challenging mm. because uh, our, uh, it, we deal with a lot of problems. Mm. So in our trade, a key problem that we deal with would be parallel imports. Oh, because, okay, 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 I get uh, it, I get it. This is what... Uh, so like, is it right to say like all those value dollar shops, are those parallel imports? Yes, I have to admit that okay. value dollar shops, parallel imports, mm. uh, items that are not so that's a key challenge. Yes, that's because a key challenge because we will lose business to price, uh, parallel price. imports. Okay. Uh, distributors, wholesalers. Okay. Correct. So like, so how do you guys solve this kind of problem? <laughs> so I mean, it's it's going to be a perpetual problem. Okay. And what we can do is, as I mentioned earlier on, is really really that relationship building that you have, and also uh providing additional support and benefits that parallel imports do not have for example parallel imports do not have the benefit of goods return so whatever damaged goods that you receive you have to take it in but for us we offer the uh, benefit of returning damaged goods in the case of fmcg like return damaged goods like like Okay, so damaged goods, I refer to goods that are damaged along the way. Oh, so okay, for example, okay. we, we sell Cadbury chocolates, right? Oh, yes. So what if it melts along the way and you oh, receive okay, a okay, box, got it, got a it. carton of melted damaged chocolates. melted chocolate. So we are able to uh, facilitate with the returns mm. process. However, if you buy from parallel imports, uh, you don't get that luxury. You don't get, you have to buy whatever is sold to you. Mm. So what we can do to really uh, gain back the business mm. is to really build the relationship mm. and then uh, provide other benefits like I mentioned to you goods return other benefits include marketing uh, efforts marketing, marketing efforts. campaigns that you guys organize correct oh. uh, because parallel imports products won't be able to participate in our 
national promotions uh. like for example our Oreo we recently have a tie up with Spider-Man okay. so if you buy uh, the Oreo products you might win a trip to Europe oh, and Parallel yeah. Imports they don't have this luxury. products they don't have the um, benefit of participating in national wide promotions mm. so this is what we can do to combat it's going to be a perpetual problem I mm. don't have a full plan a full mm. answer to combat that but what we can do is to really mitigate the effects and to, en- to encourage all these kind of key account holders to still take on your product long term which is good for their business correct so like to uh, if Ching Chong doesn't have Oreo, Oreo then I'll be very sad right yeah. No, they would not have Oreo but uh-huh. maybe the packaging is different from what we are selling to them oh, because okay. they are importing from another country Thailand so, Malaysia all these kind of countries yeah right? correct so they it's not they wouldn't not sell that product mm. but they would sell it in a different format that's oh, all oh okay yeah so like client management mm-hmm. marketing coming out with marketing campaigns mm-hmm. like what are you focused on right now or like you are just responsible for a key account, key account mm-hmm. then you help with all aspects like coming like can you just th- share with me like the thought process let's say if Mondelez wants to come out with a marketing campaign for a particular product I mean in very vague terms because I know all this kind of information is confidential but like how, how is the process how does the process go let's say oh uh, you, you and a few colleagues or who decides on what kind of marketing campaigns what is the behind the scenes mm-hmm. of organizing a marketing campaign behind Mondelez do you guys find an agency collaborate with an agency to shoot videos come out with taglines and everything or like what what is the basic skeletal process in Mondelez? If you're allowed to share, if you're allowed to share, I'm okay. Not, I'm sure. If you're not allowed to share, it's fine. I'll just share what I'm able to share. Okay, yeah, yeah. Share what you're able <laughs> okay, to share. Okay, so I guess to really uh you can give answer your point. Well. Yeah, sure. To really um answer your point on how the marketing campaigns are cascaded down or how is it really ideated, you have to understand the structure of uh the company at the moment. Okay. So um, we have for the marketings and the commercial side, we have uh, four different, four main, okay, I guess I have to include one more, five main functions. So the first function, as I mentioned to you, would be the modern trade key accounts. Okay. So uh, there would be people involved in managing the customers Mm. for uh, the you're marketing. Up, you're campaigns. under this function, correct? Right now. I'm, I'm, okay. This is in. Uh, this is my rotation under for my graduate program, program now. Okay. And then after that, we have the traditional trade. So traditional trade encompasses your um, mama shops, your provisional shops. Okay. So uh, we also have account managers dealing with the traditional trade, and then we have a third pillar. It's the we call it the CPNA. It's a category planning and activation. So this team is the bridge between the um, sales team, the okay. key accounts team, okay. as well as the marketing team to really bring the marketing plans on the executional level. So they are the middlemen Correct. between the key accounts which you are right now under and the marketing, uh, marketing people. Correct. And the fourth one? The fourth one uh, would be the marketing team. Okay. So the marketing team, we have your brand managers, we have your... Uh, basically the uh, product and innovation team there they would do analysis on the markets mm-hmm. the uh, 
preferences of what the local markets want. Is it like APEC region? Like, is it more of like an international scale? Like for they can do the analysis um on a market level or on a region level. It's okay. up to them. But okay. definitely, they would want to focus on the market level because each different markets have so different um responses to the different marketing stimuli. Mm. So uh, the last um team would be the sales operations team. Mm. So this is basically the team that uh, handles the executions. They really bring your products down to the customers. So mm. uh, our merchandising team is in the sales operations team. Mm. So they really bring our products mm. out to the uh, customers outlets. Mm. And this is where you really see the entire thing going on. They are also responsible to put up our key visuals, mm. our point of sale materials, mm. uh, some of the uh, wobblers you see uh, at supermarkets, you know, like the thing popping out oh, okay, that okay. has those... a price or promotion. Oh, going on. okay, okay. So I got those it. are called Oh, wobblers. those are not the responsibilities no. of the key accounts. Uh, th- those are not the responsibility of our customers or oh. retailers, but it's the responsibility of us because the the retailers have so many products so many brands they have limited manpower Mm. they are not going to be responsible for all the marketing materials Mm. for all the different products so that's why we have a team that uh the sales operations team to really bring uh the ideas down on an execution level so they execute correct they execute Mm. they really bring the plans into realization Mm. so that's why uh the team is also very very important so uh, now you have an understanding of the five different functions yeah so basically the marketing team is like the brain Mm. they would have the campaigns and the ideas available Mm. and then they would cascade uh, the they would basically have a negotiation with Mm. the four other different functions that they are going to roll out this plan and then once it is agreed then the teams would work together to realize that marketing campaign. So oh, this okay. is how it works. Yeah. Under this graduate program, right? How long is the? How long are you attached with this key accounts? Because I assume that you'll be rotating between all these five departments, right? So mm-hmm. it's like one. How, how long are you stuck with for each department? Okay. Um. And uh, if I may ask, like, do you have a choice in terms of deciding where you want to go eventually, or okay. it's more of this department needs people go there. End of story. Like, how much freedom is there? I mean, if you're allowed to talk mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. in in choosing, because I will assume that of all these five, right? At least I think. I mean, I've I've only known you for a while, but I think you're like have one preference for one department over the mm-hmm. other, right? But of course, mm-hmm. the program puts you through all these kind of different mm-hmm. roles to fully understand what the company does. But yeah, what's my question? Like, how long? How long are you attached yeah. to each department? How much freedom there in, in is there in choosing the okay. kind of departments that you want? You know? Okay. So uh I have to really I want to commend the program. I feel it's very, very holistic mm. because we are able to rotate across the five different functions that I mentioned, right? Yeah. The sales operations team, the modern trade key accounts, mm. the traditional trade key accounts, mm. the category planning and activation, and finally the marketing team. Mm. I would say that as a um, fresh grad, it really exposes exposes me to the different functions before I, you know, set my decision on which yes function that I want too to as well. Yes, I so taste. I really value like the the program a lot. I feel yeah. that it's very holistic. The program is about one and a half years, and not all rotations um the the rotations period 
is basically not uh, equal. Okay. So uh, my sales operations uh, attachment was just a month. I did it for the entire of July. Oh, so you did it? You you already done one rotation already? Correct. Oh, that's fast. Yeah. Okay. So you're on your second one right now. Correct. I'm in my modern trade, but modern trade is going to be longer. Oh. So it's about five months. Because oh no wonder maybe does that explain your Instagram stories or why you are like down at the shop at the ex- like. Correct at the execution okay, okay. So you did so that for I was really month. down on the ground while tagging and shadowing uh, the merchandisers oh. to really see the process of you know how they bring our products out to our consumers how do they ensure visibility of our products on the uh, executional level mm. that's why for the entire month you have watched oh, my yeah, yeah. stories follow, I was really down I'll leave the- uh, uh, Lena's Instagram uh, tag handle in the video caption. Go follow him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that entire month, I was really on the ground, and then um, seeing how the merchandisers really bring our products to the shelves of our customers, mm. and it's definitely challenging mm. because uh, they don't. You think about it. We have so many uh, customer outlets, right? Mm. Fair Price itself, few hundred stores. Yeah, and. Cold storage itself, a few hundred stores or so, and mm. they have to really uh, go down to each of the stores on a daily basis to ensure that our we don't run out of stocks because out of stocks is really out of sales. Yeah, then that's bad, right? Yeah. So, uh, for that past month, I have been working with the sales operations team, mm. and then now I'm doing the modern uh, trade rotation for about five months till December. Mm. And then uh, I would have my traditional trade rotation for about three months and then proceed to category planning and activation for about, I guess, four months and then marketing for about four months or so. So this program is two years? Uh, it's two, about one and a half one years. One and a half years. So oh, okay. I would end my program in December. Mm. And then- so moving on to the second part of like correct. how much? Yeah, how much freedom I have, yeah. right? So uh, I guess, you can state your preference at mm. the end of the uh, graduate program mm. and definitely uh, if there's a position available that matches with your preference mm. then you would get the job if not you i wouldn't say that it's bad for you to temporarily work in a, the function that you might not have picked mm. because uh, once the job opportunity arises you could always do the switch mm. Yeah, so I would say that there's flexibility mm. and it's definitely uh, great that there's this program that exists to really give a sensing of mm. how does the company operate mm. and also helps you to reduce the risk of maybe making the mistake of getting into one job role and not knowing what it is as a fresh grad, right? Mm. So I feel that uh, I really, really uh, like how the program is structured and mm. it's going to... Um, help me achieve success in being an all-rounded marketer. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for sharing a lot of the FMCG industry. I, I learned a lot because I, I'm really not an FMCG guy. I have no idea about FMCG, but thanks so much for sharing. Let's wrap up uh, this podcast and I just want to ask you some very, very short generic mm. questions. Very, what is those questions where like just live lessons that are kind of stuff. You're talking yourself, talk, you're, you meet, you're meeting yourself when you were 15 years old, what advice would you give him or her in a single sentence? In a single sentence. Okay, maybe a few paragraphs. Maybe not. Okay, I would just say that uh, really be confident, be proactive, and be bold. Mm. Um, Be confident in the sense that you should really 
not let uh, whatever people say to you affect you mm. if you really have full faith in knowing that mm. this is what you want to pursue go for it mm. and be proactive basically is to really uh, be proactive in pursuing what your goals are don't just uh, stay passive and waiting for things to happen do it now there's no time life is very short if you want to do it do it uh, as soon as possible don't don't wait don't hesitate and finally be bold is to really um, bring yourself out there and not be afraid of whatever negative uh, comments or negative things that is going to uh, you are going to meet along the way mm. so what I would say to myself is just be confident, mm. be proactive, and be bold. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much, Leonard. If you have any questions for Leonard, please leave them down in the comment section below. His Instagram handle and LinkedIn handle is in the video caption above. And yeah, see you. Okay, thanks for having me. Episode. <laughs>